Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. This is the 282nd Bob Pritchard Radio Show. So we're heading up to 300. We'll have to come up with something really special for that 300th show. Now, there's a lot of talk about how college dropouts, all the, all the billionaires that have started all these fantastic companies are all college dropouts. So, you know, the Gates and the Zuckerbergs and Jobs, they're all white, they're all male, they're all American, they're all college dropouts. So if you're white and you're a college dropout, you're going to be a successful entrepreneur. Well, that's kind of the leap that many people take. I've seen many, many stories about um, how don't go to university, don't go to college, drop out and be successful. Um, And Zuckerberg, Gates and Jobs are certainly that. But when you add Mason and Parsons and Bryn and Page and Hurley and Yang and Cuban and Hastings and Wang and Bezos, hang on, we're a lot less homogeneous now and we're down around 20%. And there's a whole bunch more that you could add that would take it down even further. So in reality, these stories about billionaire, millionaire dropouts overlook the fact that there are 34 million college dropouts you don't hear about, 34 million of them. And this group's 71% more likely to be unemployed and four times more likely to default on student loans. So far from being millionaires, on average, they earn 32% less than college graduates. A minimum of 97% of startup entrepreneurs fail, and the primary reason is a lack of skills in business disciplines. So they might have great ideas, but they don't have the education or the experience to succeed. So if you're a college dropout, you have probably have less of those skills and therefore more chance of failure. Sure, there are some dropouts who do succeed. We just mentioned a few of them. You know, those that see an opportunity that exists in the moment and it's not going to wait another three years until they complete their degree, go for it. Those with, you know, there's those odd people with really unique personality traits which help in succeeding as an entrepreneur or they have entrepreneurial parents and a network of family, friends and acquaintances that open doors and provide a safety net. These exceptional individuals whose hard work, determination and intelligence makes up for a lack of a college degree. But, you know, they are an extremely limited few. Making it a generalisation and effectively encouraging kids to drop out of college, in my view, is unbelievably irresponsible. A new Australian study shows that over 80% of startup founders are university graduates. Sure, many students now want to start their own businesses and careers. They don't want to work for somebody else. I understand that. 
I've only worked for somebody else 14 years out of my whole life. But they take advantage of college courses that teach them the entrepreneurial skills they need if you're going to turn a clever idea into a new business. Startup must have surveyed more than 600 startup founders to compile this report, 64% of them having university-level software development skills and 61% in business, 37% in marketing, 13% in scientific research, 14% in engineering and 11% in legal aptitude. So they're educated. The report also found that tertiary educated entrepreneurs were more likely to be founding cutting-edge startups in fields like medical technology, education and fintech, which are all hot and will remain hot. Now, the vast majority of kids, especially those from disadvantaged families, need college to improve their circumstances. A recent UCLA study found that those that are least likely to attend college including kids from disadvantaged backgrounds, benefit most from a college education. So for them, college is not a choice but a necessity and it's a vital stepping stone towards a future of opportunity. It's the platform from which whole families can be lifted to better prospects. College provides young adults with the intellectual capital to succeed and the social capital to help them make connections and build networks and establish lifelong relationships, which are absolutely critical to success. Provides them with skills in analysis and reasoning, combined with confidence that will lead them to articulate and embrace new ideas. It transforms their perspective. It opens them up to different cultures you know, to different world views and different ways of seeing and solving some of the world's most complex problems. So far from being an obstacle to entrepreneurial success, a college education arms a person with a suite of skills, not only necessary, but essential to capitalise on a great idea. So in the words of Donald Trump, becoming a dropout to be successful, fake news. So let's stop promoting it. Hey, what are you doing? Stop what you're doing and listen up. This is a very important message for every single business. If you want to stop leaving money on the table, you need to set your prices right. You know, you can make more profit by adjusting your prices than you can by increasing your sales. So go to atenga.com, A-T-E-N-G-A, Com and download a free ebook called Seven Easy Successful Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increase Prices. It's a very quick read and it may well be the most profitable thing that you've done all day. My friend, my friend Per Sofas can get you your total investment in a Tenga back in as little as four to six weeks. So go to atenga.com now. It really will be one of the best decisions you've made all day. Now, over the past 12 months, we've all been exposed to the revelations that we can be spied on by our smartphones, by our television sets, by microwaves, toasters, refrigerators, baby monitors. So what the hell could possibly be next? How about your most personal possessions? 
your vibrator. The Weep Vibe 4 Plus spied on customers' sex lives without permission. This vibrator allows users to adjust the intensity and vibration patterns using a smartphone linked to an app. Now, why on earth would a vibrator be linked to a smartphone and an app? It's a question you might ask. Well, simple. When you're in New York and your girlfriend's in Los Angeles, you're able to dial up the intensity and the vibrating platform of the device. However, I understand you can hear the moans of pleasure from 3,000 miles away without the smartphone. But we vibrate a monitor the sexual activity of users without consent, and the court said that, that those people that were violated were entitled to $4 million in compensation. The manufacturer reached the US class action settlement after it was found to be collecting intimate data about the way purchasers used the vibrator device. The WeVibe 4 Plus was heavily advertised as the number one couple's vibrator and is available on Amazon for $89. And the description of it on Amazon reads, WeVibe takes couples to a new height of pleasure. Couples use it during sex or when they're apart. She gets extra stimulation to her bleep and bleep, <laughs> and together they both share the vibe. Now, the next four lines of the description on Amazon, Amazon had to be censored totally for this broadcast. Note that it says nothing at all in the description about it spying on you and sending a plethora of real-time data back to the facilities in Canada. The class action against sex toy company Standard Innovation Corporation was brought in the federal court by two anonymous women when in September last year it was revealed that their intimate data was being regularly sent back to the manufacturer when the machine was in use. Jeez, what's next? Now, the lawsuit against the manufacturer alleged that it was intercepting and monitoring electronic communication between a user's smartphone and the device, and then collecting and transmitting this data to its servers located in Canada. According to court documents, about 300,000 people purchased the Bluetooth-enabled WeVibe products while around one-third of those also used the app. Standard Renovation said that they take customer privacy and data data security seriously. They take customer privacy and data security seriously? Really? (laughs) God. Transmitting the information from vibrators? What the fuck is next? Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. They're from all over the planet. They're not all in the States. Um, I think they're from about 65 or 66 countries. So we really do reach right across the world, I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my newsletter if you don't get it. It takes just 30 seconds to read, and it'll keep you up to date with all of the business news that's important. You know, 
if your boss is taking you out to dinner, how cool would it be if you've read the newsletter for the last 30 days, how cool would it be would have to have 30 lots of the best information available about the latest things happening around the planet? After dinner, your boss would say, boy, that guy is really switched on. Or when you're sitting around talking around the water cooler, wouldn't you like to be the smartest guy on the block? Well, you might not be the smartest, but you'll be the most informed if you get my newsletter. So go to Bob Pritchard with a T, P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D.com and enroll for my daily newsletter. It's really easy. You just put in your name and your email address and bingo, you get it. Now, my guest today is Dan Shitey, who's a leadership advisor and trainer. He's an author, a speaker, and a mentor. He's also a bloody good guy and really smart, and I like him a lot. Um, he's the founder and president of Four Power Leadership, which is a company dedicated to leadership training for corporate and government clients. Now, I... Um, Put in my uh, newsletter during the week. We had a discussion about um, robots and and um, AI and um, machine learning, and how this was going to grow and grow, and unemployment was going to increase dramatically. And Dan sent me an email after the publication of the newsletter, and he posted a number of really interesting questions about robots. AI and machine learning, and how the society would react. And it was really challenging, so I thought I'd invite him on the show to speak about this incredibly important subject. It is a great discussion. I'm sure you'll love it. And I'll be back, Dan, immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to this Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. For over the last five and a half years, we've just signed on for a sixth year. 
We've given you the insights into the lives of over 320 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about what they do, the challenges they faced, and we've tried to work out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to make your mark in the world and achieve success. And the aim of this segment is to introduce you to people that are involved in interesting and different roles and to learn their keys to success. The other aim of this segment is to assist you to overcome the challenges that you go to face, seize the initiatives and become successful. Now, last week in one of my daily 30-second read business newsletters, which of course you all read, it was entitled, No Job is Safe from Robots. Now, in it, I suggested that we are looking in the very near future at 50% plus unemployment. And with the amazing acceleration of AI and machine learning, that percentage will rapidly increase. Research by McKinsey found that 95% of jobs... 95% of jobs will only be safe for the next two or three years. An estimated 16 million Americans will be seriously affected by self-driving trucks. And the outlook is nearly as bleak for the 8 million Americans working as salespeople or cashiers. You might remember that last year, Amazon opened an 1,800 square foot grocery store in Seattle with no cashiers, no lines, and plans are well advanced for human soldiers to be replaced by robots and drones. Government bureaucrats could be endangered. A recent report suggests that 90% of government workers could be replaced by a machine. Doctors are in jeopardy, as recent experiments found that a computer algorithm correctly diagnosed 90% of lung cancer cases, outperforming a human physician by 40%. And algorithms are already replacing lawyers. Now, that's a good thing. (laughs) Many children already see their lessons from sophisticated AI that's adapted to the strengths and weaknesses of each individual child. So a lot of schools will disappear and children will get instruction on everything from a single source. Now, as a result of this newsletter, I got great, um, great response um, a hell of a lot of people agreeing with me, a hell of a lot of people expressing con- you know, serious concern um, and quite a number of people saying it's absolute bullshit. So I can be open to anyone, <laughs> any one of those three. Um, but I did receive an email from Don- Dan Shidey and he's a leadership advisor and trainer. He's an author, a speaker and a mentor. He's the founder and president of 4Power Leadership He's a real community thought leader, and uh, 4Power Leadership is a company dedicated to leadership training for corporate and government clients. His job might be a bit shaky. (laughs) He posed a number of interesting questions, so I thought I'd have him on the show to speak about this incredibly important subject. Dan, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Now, robots... Thanks for having me on, Bob. It's a pleasure. Robot, thanks for the email. It was great. Robots, AI, and machine learning progress is frightening. It is, it's accelerating every day, and 50% plus unemployment is likely at some point. Now, when you look at the 45,000 robots that are operated by Amazon, that's 45,000 people at least that aren't getting employed. Um, 
There's a factory that I wrote about the other day that's just replaced 90% of its human workforce with automated machines. It got a 250% increase in productivity and an 80% drop in defects. Now, it's for an employer, it's almost impossible to resist those sorts of economies of scale and productivity increases. So if this happens, who will be the most vulnerable or will it be across the board? Well, clearly, you know, I think that the uh, least skilled in the workforce are going to be the most vulnerable initially. I mean, we've already seen that in some of its simplest forms everywhere. Uh, and you being, you know, a business leader who keeps up with the, with the trends in automation, even McDonald's and Panera, you know, are, yep. are rolling out uh, kiosks, you know, and all of that is designed to replace human workers and um, and increase their productivity. Now, as you say... Uh, you know, it's almost impossible, I mean, to resist a return on investment, you know, for, for these things. And for years and years, employers have been looking at ways to, to reduce, uh, you know, their uh, dependence on human capital, as they like to call it these sure. days. But, uh, you know, the least skilled, uh, you know, are going to be the, the first to go. But, you know, as you say, with the pro- progress in AI and as time goes on, right, every job becomes vulnerable to some degree. Uh, you know, they'll either need less of you or, or not at all, depending on how sophisticated uh, and how rapidly it advances. Well, a lot of this is happening now. And um, in Silicon Valley, they're cutting a lot of people's hours from 40 hours to 30 hours and reducing wages, I might add, at the same time, so that they can maintain employment. So, you know, there, there already is a replacement going on. But because these people aren't necessarily being laid off, you don't notice it as much now mm-hmm. when more than half the population is unemployed you know you look at crime statistics for example people that are unemployed commit more crime and i can understand that you've got to eat um we really will have the haves and the have nots won't we what will that yeah, there, do to us socially there's going to be a tremendous stratification of society you know and i can't even imagine what uh uh, what a 50% unemployment world would look like because I believe if I have the statistic correct during the Great Depression, okay, we reached probably close to 20% on un- unemployment and, you know, you can see what dire circumstances we had back then. Yeah. So, you know, that was on the, the edge of a uh, tipping point of social unrest, et cetera, and, and, uh, and then the most vulnerable, you know, becoming, uh, becoming destitute and barely being able to, uh, to feed themselves. So what would 50% unemployment look like? I mean, that's unimaginable as far as the, the level of civil unrest that could possibly result uh, from that, uh, that kind of situation. The what what do you think the reaction will be from the general populace um, once robots are everywhere? Everywhere you go, you go to a toll booth, it's a bloody robot of some sort. You go to your local store, it's a robot of some sort. What do you think the reaction will be? Will the reaction be, wow, this is great, and we'll talk about um, universal basic income in a minute, but... Let's say the people have got enough money just to exist. What do you think the reaction from the population will be to robots being well, everywhere? You, know, you could possibly see uh, attacks, you know, on robots and and sabotage and people, you know, uh, re- retaliating against robots. And 
you know, the, the, the thing about humans is that we're adaptable just like any creature on Earth. You know, we re- react to a stimulus in our environment. So you can bet that uh, people are not going to sit still. And there's also going to be, you know, a push for new laws and, and, uh, and, and protectionism. It's going to be even interesting to see what, what labor unions do and how they react to this on, uh, on a grand scale. But, uh, you know, there's going to be retaliation. I mean, I could easily see people sabotaging robots, you know, uh, and running one down with your car, you know, just to, <laughs> to get them out of the way and, and reduce them. So, you know, the, there could be all kinds of new laws passed, too, uh, relative to that that go beyond simple property destruction, right? If they begin to uh, give robots, you know, a certain degree of rights like, like humans have today. So it's it's a you know in the world in the words of uh, Aldous uh, Huxley right it's a brave new world. It is a brave new world. Um, what do you anticipate that the authorities will do about this? I mean that the authorities are between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? Firstly, they've got the pressure from um, the business sector saying we want the robots, we're going to put them in, we're going to cut our costs, we haven't got we don't have holiday pay and sick leave and health insurance and all that sort of stuff so the savings are a hell of a lot more than just wages um, and on the other hand you've got the population saying no and the population vote and robots don't mm. so are you going to have a massive uprising by the population saying no we don't want robots then what the hell do the authorities do well, there's a thing about authorities and they tend to side, you know, with the moneyed interests and the elites and people that control, you know, uh, sure. the economy in many ways. So you can, you, you know, my bet would be that, uh, you know, they're going to do everything in their power to protect, you know, the right of the people that own the robots, you know, to continue owning them and deploying them as they see uh, fit. But you're right. You bring up a very interesting point. You know, so, uh, but, you know, with artificial intelligence, and that's why we even have to watch, you know, what's going to happen when you have a highly sophisticated robot, you know, that uh, walks, talks, and acts like a human. And um, basically, will that robot have rights? Will they be given rights? You know, and uh, and that could change uh, the landscape uh, significantly. Uh, you know, we are redefining potentially what it means, you know, to have consciousness, you know, with this sure. with this topic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we will we can argue whether or not even a machine, a sophisticated um, artificial intelligence uh, machine has consciousness. But there will be people that argue that it does. And it's going to be very it's going to be a battle in the in the courts, in the, in the legal arena, in the political arena. But, you know, you can bet that uh, politicians tend to go with the ones who bankroll them, right? And so they're going to be under heavy pressure to protect the rights and extend the rights of robot ownership and deployment. I I guess one of the good things (laughs) is that if you look at the intelligence of most of the population, um, artificial intelligence to me often sounds like one hell of a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> on the surface, yes, but uh, you know, we we the devil's in the details here as we get deeper and deeper into this. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that you know, to to those uh, readers of yours, you know, who said that this was BS, you know, I got to tell you that the mind of mankind is extraordinary. If we've imagined it, you know, it's only a matter of time, typically, until it becomes a reality. And uh, you know, the AI, you know, had a. A big start, I guess, back in the uh, 90s, 
and it was kind of ridiculed, didn't get very far. But now with the immense increase in processing power to computers that continues to progress each and every day, you know, it's, it's truly getting traction and it's remarkable what's, what's being accomplished. So um, I think this time it's for real. And I think that uh, we can very much expect, you know, the typical like a, a droid type robot like you might see in Star Wars or Star Trek or something like that. It's, it's coming. It's, it's interesting that um, with artificial – with machine learning in particular, um, you start off with a robot that's got a certain degree of um, knowledge and smarts and one could argue even emotion. Um, and as machine learning continue progresses, it gets smarter, it gets more knowledge, it gets more ability to be able to work out problems, and some would argue that it can then become more emotional. So, and most, I think it could also be argued that people are not getting any smarter. So on one hand, you've got robots getting smarter and smarter and smarter. And on the other hand, um, you could say that there's been a real dumbing down of the community. That creates one hell of an issue. Well, you, you bring up a, an interesting point there. The the robots and the and all the AI, it's, it's software in the end. And... Um, Engineers could put in limits, right, on the software, on what it can and can't do. So, for example, in the area of, you know, you, you won't necessarily have a robot that gets out of control emotionally, potentially. Right. Uh, you know, and it could have limits, too, for example, like never harm a human, right, right. And, and, and things like that. And people will say, well, those are safeguards. Well, as you know, there's these things called hackers out there, right? And yep. what happens if a hacker got into a robot's code and decided to alter, you know, that code and remove those restrictions? So now the robot could do anything it wanted, uh, pretty much, and develop the sense of free will. And that's where where the danger goes. I mean, even uh, Elon Musk, who's this great visionary, I mean, he's come out in the in the press and said that yep. this could truly threaten the existence of mankind, artificial intelligence. And so it may not be an immediate threat, for example, of um, the designers building the robot and they're a direct threat to humans. It's what happens if they get hacked yep. uh, and if those controls are removed and then the robots r uh, begin to run amok, that's a dangerous situation. And as we've seen recently, nothing is safe. Just no. ask the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is remarkable, and and there's no question that that robots could be hacked. Now, in your email to me, and this is something I didn't quite understand, uh, you said that enclaves of humans will develop where they prohibit automation of a certain degree. How do you see that working? I mean, you're going to have a, an area, maybe a suburb, where the council bans automation, so nobody puts any factories in there, nobody puts any um, um, supermarkets in there, nobody puts any pharmacies in there, no one, you know, um, you can only drive your own cars and you're the only person on the planet that is. How, how, how the hell can that work? Well, that... Uh was an extension of a point where, you know, if you have a disintegration of current social structures, what could happen 
is that, you know, with massive civil unrest, you could have enclaves of people develop where they just, you know, they they just ban uh, automation. They don't allow it. And that could put them, you know, at direct odds, you know, with the state and the people that, you know, uh, are promoting it. Right. Right. And, you know, with that could emerge, you know, basically separate economies, you know, and and a a total deterioration of what we see today as uh, as society. So, you know, that's kind of what I meant by that, that, uh, you know, people are going to rebel from it. Uh, and as you say, too, with people having the right to vote, there could be, you know, my, maybe not necessarily a total breaking away, but pockets of the country where where the politicians say, no, robots are not allowed here. We're, you know, and as you say, you must drive your own car. You can't have, you know, uh, uh, automated supermarkets or so forth to provide, you know, that certain level of employment. So it could create, you know, in essence, two two separate economies if you continue to allow that to, to uh, exist and grow. They end up like the Amish. <laughs> or, uh, in, or, or Mississippi. <laughs> well, in, the, in a way, you know, depending on uh, on how you know it, it it unfolds, yeah, there could be you know an us and them kind of uh, development in, in society, and uh, yeah, yeah that, that's really interesting. Um, one of the things that I hadn't thought about, I, I've written on this subject in the newsletter, as you know, probably several well several times now. Um, but you brought up an interesting point. You also said that alternative currencies could emerge to separate the enclaves from the official state that will side with the elites and their machines. So I think we'll have not as fast as we'll have unemployment, but I think we'll have probably cryptocurrencies of some sort um, for the general population. I mean, in in Africa, as you probably know, there's there's very little money. It's all online money, pre, sort of almost pretend money. Um, and cryptocurrencies are going to be similar. So, so you think you know there'll be areas that continue with the greenback, for example. I don't know who's going to print them though. Well, depending on how. The uh, you know the separations evolved, assuming that that it happens, and you know there would be several steps before that, right? You have to have you know obviously this deterioration and, and this uh, you know factions being developed, but certainly as people begin to separate themselves more and more from the official you know state, they're going to have to still continue trade somehow. So that's why I, I see you know the potential for it to deteriorate further. I mean, you have today you know uh, Bitcoin was was yep. developed. So, you know, there could be other things like Bitcoin pop up where uh, people use that and also it could be an increase in barter uh, type of arrangements where people barter constantly as opposed to uh, using a currency. But that would be just an extension that, you know, with, with every separation of communities comes, you know, the, uh, control over their own uh, financial and economic uh, system. So, you know, it stands to reason that, you know, uh, these enclaves that might pop up within countries develop these own, their own currencies in their own way of trading because they want to maintain separation from the, from the central state, which will monitor everything. It's going to make it interesting because I, I think that um, I think there's a rough chance that um, Bitcoin will survive and become a, a principal currency. I mean, it's growing at unbelievable rate at the moment, um, or at least some derivation of it will be our currency. Um, 
so if, if you've got Bitcoin as a currency and you've got people bartering, where the hell does the government get its money from? Right. And that, and that is another problem <laughs> that it gets created by this, you see. So the, there, there are so many ramifications of this if it's lo- allowed to run unchecked. Um, now, you know, to those who say it's 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 BS, it's possible that, you know, we may intervene in some fashion. There may be some solution developed because, as I mentioned, you know, humans are adaptable. When we start to see this, you know, taking society downhill fast, uh, you know, there's going to be people that interject and try to do different things. So we'll see. We don't know what those solutions are. But it's interviews like this and, and, and getting this topic out in the public that will hopefully create that dialogue and start people thinking about, you know, do we really want to do this? What exactly are we going to achieve by this full-scale automation of, of, uh, of our lives, right? Where, where is it going? So uh, hopefully we have those solutions that, uh, that begin to, to pop up and, and formulate in some way that it's fair. But, you know, as, as part of my leadership uh, studies and the things that I tell people is that, you know, human nature is what it is. It's been the same. Our DNA has effectively not really altered much over the, the millennia here. Absolutely. So, yeah, humans are, are, are the same. So we're going to adapt. And because of those adaptations and our behavioral patterns, we see patterns in history, okay, of where these things have happened before. Now, I want to take you to a point in American history, you know, where we had slavery, Right. And slavery had some very interesting uh, parallels to the, to this. Now, slavery, as we know, was in, in a moral and heinous state, you know, for, for the enslaved, obviously. Right. But President Lincoln at the time made an observation that slavery not only harmed the person that was enslaved and deprived them of their freedom and their ability to earn their livelihood, but it also had an impact on the poor people of society who would deprive an economic entry point into society. Because if you could force a slave to do a, a job for nothing, right. why did you need a, a blacksmith, for example, if you could enslave somebody and force them to be a blacksmith? So the parallel here is the same with robots, right? Robots could become the new, the new slaves, in effect, you know, that then begin to progressively deprive people of economic entry points throughout the economy. You know, if we have self-driving cars, what's going to happen to all of the uh, immigrant people who, who uh, become taxi drivers, for example? My father, of which was one, he was an immigrant and he, he owned a taxi business in New York. And that's how I was raised as a child. He earned a living with his, uh, with his business. If that entry point goes away, for example, and, and millions more like it, I don't know what we're going to do, Bob. I don't know how we absorb uh, people and how we lift them up in the economy, you know, if uh, this uh, situation is allowed to run them up. I think that leads us to a really interesting point because universal basic income, for any of you listening that have not heard the term universal basic income before, it's a system that's being experimented with at the moment in the United States, in India, in Canada, and Finland, and the UK, and a number of other places, where all citizens of a country receive an unconditional amount of money. So um, the number that they're talking about, obviously, it, it varies from country to country depending on their um, standard of living and, and their general income. But in America, they've been the, the pilot studies here have been focusing on uh, two thousand dollars a month. So every citizen would get two thousand dollars a month. Now, because there's almost no work around, um, 
if you can go out and earn money on top of that income, on top of that $2,000, that's great. But if you can't, you've got 2000 bucks a month to be able to live and buy your food and do all that. Now, I can imagine that to some portion of the community, they'd say, hey, how cool is this? Um, I know in Australia where people who don't work get I don't know, three or four hundred dollars a week um, in benefits from the government. They're quite happy not to work. They're quite happy mm-hmm. to spend their life at the beach or on the golf course or whatever. So there'll be a percentage of the population that says, "Hey, how good is this? I'm not going to work." Um, but will that will that appease more people than not, or vice versa? I mean, people are inherently lazy. Well, most people are inherently lazy, aren't they? We, we are, but I think that our personal growth and our sense of, of, of worth has is highly connected to contribution to society. And, you know, being, being part of a society that's building and you're contributing to it, you know, I, I think it's going to deteriorate the spirit of humanity, frankly, you know, and I, you know, derive satisfaction from my work you know if i build something or i accomplish a project or i help a client that creates that sense of satisfaction i don't know what kind of you know human psyche will have in general you know as part of the general population when people just don't have to do that anymore you know are we going to become just hedonistic uh, people who just look to you know for the next pleasure that they can afford based on their government uh, subsistence uh, you know, strange, uh, you know, uh, existence for me, and that would be a highly strange existence. Wouldn't it be just as satisfying if you got up every day and went out and, and painted fences for um, elderly or helped um, people achieve things, help clean rivers and creeks? And wouldn't that be just as satisfying? You'd still be doing something for the community um, and you'd be improving everybody's lot. Don't you think that would be equally satisfying? Um, to some, it, it certainly is. Um, but I think that the general general population probably wouldn't be doing that. I mean, if, if that was if that would work today, right, if, if that was a way to uh, basically engage the people that are receiving these, um, uh, you know, like welfare checks today, they'd be doing that now. And that's been tried, you know, before and it's been met with massive resistance. Like, you know, the idea that, hey, if the government's paying you a check, well, you know, why don't you show up and, and go uh, and clean up a street or remove some graffiti from somewhere? And that's been shot down, you know, consistently. People just don't want to do that. They rebel against it. Uh, we have kind of a, you know, a... Um, um, a, a selfish survival mechanism, you know, that if I'm not getting something out of it, why should I do it? And once you give people something for nothing, they're going to just continue to accept something for nothing without having to go and, and return anything for it, right? And then then try to take it away, right? <laughs> you can never remove an entitlement, as they say in government, right? Because uh, it creates massive backlash. That's true. But if... if if everybody's out doing it, you might feel more inclined to do it. Um, well, some people might feel more inclined to do it. Now, a vast segment of society in this environment might not might not feel oppressed, but as you were saying, they'd probably feel repressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, you don't think that the um, UBI would work 
I mean, so far, so far, apparently, it's been quite successful in the six or eight countries where they're trialling it. Um, but you, what it might do, if anything, is is uh, be a, um, a band-aid against civil unrest, right? Because I think uh, authorities would determine uh, just what level of income is necessary to keep people from committing crime, right? So if they had a certain amount of income, they might, you know, be able to um, to quell the civil civil unrest. So there's possibly a line where people say, all right, if I give them just enough, they'll be quiet and behave themselves. So, I mean, but, you know, we're, we're talking about a society here, Bob, that is dramatically different than anything we know today in the quote-unquote free world. Uh, you know, to not be able to aspire to your dreams because there's nobody who can um, you can't produce, you know, your your uh, particular s- a service or your product because a robot's doing it. I mean, all of those ambitions are just removed from from society. And to me, uh, you know, and we do have a vast number of people who have no ambition at all and 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 are content to just exist and s- stand on a street corner and drink a beer. You know, yeah. but the the majority of society today is has an innate desire to contribute and create something and when that is completely removed that that need for those people is completely removed the results are going to be dramatically unpredictable and i think it's going to be a a heavily corrupting influence on humanity that is not a bad place to finish this interview and so dan thank you very much for reading my daily newsletter i really appreciate that um you know we're going out now to 1.7 million people a day across the world which is a hell of a lot of people i get a lot of emails but yours yours was constructive and posed a lot of questions and i really enjoyed it so that's why i reached out to you and uh, so thanks for emailing me and thanks for speaking with me on the bob pritchard radio show you can you can learn more about dan if you need leadership training or you need staff training um you can learn more about dan at four pat four the number four power for power.com and i'll be back with more of the bob pritchard radio show on voice america business network after this short break From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs, and this week we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. We talked in the first half about um, your vibrators spying on you. Well... There's seven ways to stop gadgets from spying on you, from, you know, televisions to toasters to refrigerators. All kinds of devices are getting hooked up to the internet. This brings convenience, but it also brings new privacy concerns. As anything connected to the internet 
can be hacked. I mean, I've seen stories of people that have been hacked through their refrigerator and their toaster and through their baby monitor, and it's unbelievable. An increasing number of smart devices have been caught secretly tracking their users' behaviour and reporting that information back to the company that made them. So here are seven things you can do to protect yourself in our increasingly connected world. Firstly, create strong passwords and change them often. Now, I know this is a pain in the ass. It is a drag. And, you know, I must have 50 things that have all got passwords. And trying to have different passwords is bloody near impossible. So the best passwords are difficult to guess and include a mix of letters and numbers and special characters. But more importantly, never use them for multiple accounts because that makes it really easy for hackers to gain access to multiple services and devices. And if you're worried about forgetting your new password (laughs) or can't think of a strong one, try using a password service like LastPass or 1Password. These apps generate complex passwords on your behalf, which you can manage with one master password. Also, you can use two-factor authentication wherever possible. Secondly, Tape up your laptop's camera. Covering your computer's camera might not stop a hacker from taking it over, but it will help ensure that they don't obtain any private footage they can use against you. They can't afford, they can't um, copy the code to your um, security system, for example. Hackers can gain access to your webcam and more through a type of software known as remote administration tool, which has an abbreviation, appropriately, of RAT. So remote administration tool. Even Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg keeps his laptop camera taped up. If you look at Zuckerberg's office on YouTube, you'll see that he has them all taped up. Um, And if that's ugly, you can get a webcam camera uh, (laughs) cover, which just slips over the top, and um, it's reasonably attractive. It It looks better than duct tape then choose whichever smartphone apps can access your location. Many apps request to use your location in order to provide better services. Facebook, for example, will use your location to let you check in to a particular place or tag where a photo was taken. But you might not want every app to know where you are at all times. I certainly don't. One of the reasons I don't use Facebook um, or Twitter, because I really don't want people to know all about me, Um, or where I am, for that matter. On the iPhone, you can individually choose whether specific apps have access to your location all the time or only some of the time when you're using the app, or not at all. To do this, open the settings menu, choose privacy, and tap location services. From there, you'll see a list of each app that's accessing your location and to which degree they're doing it. On the Google Pixel, launch settings and then press the apps button. From here, you'll be able to tap an app to edit whether they can access access location, your phone's microphone and more. 
keep your software up to date, whether it's for your phone, computer, or anything else. You'd always try to make sure that you're using the latest software version possible. Software updates commonly bring critical security fixes that fix lapses that hackers love to exploit. So if you don't um, update as soon as you get the notification, you're leaving yourself a window where hackers can get in and hack you and find out all sorts of yummy stuff about you. An option to check for software updates can usually be found on your device's settings menu. I mean, I get notified um, of updates all the time, and I always act on it immediately. You should also turn off your TV's tracking features. Smart, some smart TVs may be logging more information about your viewing habits than you realise. And not only that, they can be filming you on the couch doing whatever you're doing. TV maker Vizio, for example, recently paid a fine to the Federal Trade Commission to settle charges that was monitoring the content viewers watched without their consent and then selling that data to advertisers. A couple of years ago, Samsung was embroiled in a controversy about certain models of its smart TVs listening in on conversations in order to provide voice control features. So, and they can be watching you all the time. So while disconnecting your smart TV from the internet entirely is the best way to ensure that sensitive data won't be transmitted, doing so can notably limit its functionality. Now, some TV manufacturers allow you to disable specific data collecting features. So um, on Vizio TVs, for example, navigating to menu, system, reset and admin and then smart interactivity and toggling it to off should do the trick. That should stop you being filmed and uh, recorded. You also need to turn off your phone's voice recognition features. While some smart TVs have voice recognition capabilities, there's much bigger chance that your smartphone has them. Newer Android models that include the Google Assistant and iPhones that support Siri, listen for a trigger phrase in order to answer questions and fulfill requests without requiring a button press. If this makes you uncomfortable, you can turn this functionality off for the Google Assistant by pressing and holding the Google's Google Pixel's home button, tapping the icon that looks like three dots and choosing settings. Then you press the OK Google detection option. For iPhone, head over to settings, Siri, and allow Hey Siri. You know, it's a real problem with... Um, phone's voice recognition. You know, it's amazing what they can record and how easily you can be hacked. The next one is Amazon Echo recordings. If you've got an Amazon Echo, chances are you've already embraced the concept of gadgets listening to your conversations. Amazon stores your voice logs in order to better adapt to your preferences. You know, there's a court case going on at the moment where the... Um, I'm not sure whether it's an Amazon Echo or a Google, but whatever the device was, it was recording conversations. 
So there was a murder took place and the courts wanted to get a hold of the recording so um, so so that they could hear whether the murder was discussed on, discussed on the um, echo. So you need to be very careful with these um, these units, the echo or whatever it is, home. Um, so make sure you get into your recording and delete it. You can also do this by visiting the Amazon Connect and Devices website, connecting your device, clicking your devices tab, choosing your Echo or Fire TV, and then select Manage Your Voice Recordings. The more technology you have, the less privacy you have. Okay, stop what you're doing. Listen up. This is a really important message for every business. If you want to make more profit, there's several ways you can go about it. Increasing sales, increasing margins, cutting costs. The best way to do it is make sure that you're pricing your products right. So if you want to stop leaving money on the table, set those prices correctly. Now, it's it's quite an exercise to do this and it's quite scientific. So there's a company that specializes in it. It's a Tenga. Dot com. That's A-T-E-N-G-A. And go, so go onto Atenga.com and download a free ebook called Seven Easy Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increase Your Prices. It's a quick read. So um, and go to it and um, my mate Per Sofas will get will make sure that you get the total outlay for setting your prices back in four to six weeks. I mean, how good is that? And you make make a much better profit than doing any of the other alternatives. So I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, enrol for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read and it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. Now remember, if you're not living on the edge, you are taking up far too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. Next week, we'll be back broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard, where technology meets entertainment, and I hope you can join me again. In the meanwhile, please continue to be successful because failure is not an option. It sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.